0: VA's round-the-clock hotline can put veterans who are homeless in touch with the resources and support they earned through their military service. Call 877-424-3838.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of This Week at VA. This is episode... 39, and I am your host, Timothy Lawson. This week's episode features our main interview with Army veteran Travis Mills, a quick segment from Marine veteran Robert Consolmano, and our Veteran of the Day, and information on one of VA's most important resources. To kick it off, we have Robert Consolmano. Robert first appeared on VA's platform when we produced a video and blog about him using Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for coping with mental health issues. Then about a year later, he was honored as our Veteran of the Day, and now I bring him on to briefly tell us about his latest endeavor, breaking a world record. Check it out. You uh, broke a record on June 10th. Can you tell us um, what the record was for and, uh, and how many you did?
2: The world record uh, was 539 standing airwheel rollouts. Uh, it's one of the most gruesome exercises that you can do for the body. Uh, and what it was for? was to end the stigma associated with mental health. Um, since I've come forward with my story, um, I really am starting to – it's really – things out there are starting to confirm uh, a lot more that the stigma is real.
1: So uh, what motivated you to, to want to break this record? I know you did it once before at DAV. Why, why a second time?
2: Well, let's be honest with you, uh, due to a technical error on our side, my team's side in the DAV, the angle was off on the camera – we had to place it in a different area because the hallway was uh, was uh, narrow. And I kind of got angry, kind of like the Hulk. And I said, you know what? I can't walk away from this. I can't turn my back and let it slide. Not to say slide in a bad way, but I'm like, I can't turn my back. I'm never going to have an opportunity again to do this again. I came back stronger six months later, and I killed it. I did 539 as opposed to 524. And, and how many? And that was in an hour? One hour. Under the duress of one hour. Yes.
1: So, uh, just out of curiosity, like at, at like the half hour mark, where are you in the in the count?
2: Here's the crazy thing, man. I was at a high number at the half hour, but it, like I said, your it's like um, it's like the gas tank. You want to talk about the Connor thing? It's like a gas tank or whatever. I did about three thirty in an and a half hour. That last two uh, two something actually no was, uh, yeah two something was was insane. Um, every rep especially when I got to about 480, oh, my God, wow, the drop-off is exponential.
1: And so, like how, like, how many did you do, like, in your last five minutes?
2: Last five minutes? I think I did about 30. That's okay. how hard it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and then uh, you – this record was set with uh, an American uh, company, not Guinness. Who, who was that again?
2: Companies called Record Setters. Uh, they're based in Las Vegas, but they cover you know, pretty much the whole USA. And their motto is, um, if, you got, if you're a champion, we want to know. And it should cost nothing. And you just send them a video, and uh, they send you um, your certificate. My certificate's in the, in the mail right now. And I contacted them again, and I'm going for my third one. I'm going to go for a thousand at the Observatory in New York City if I get approved, and the Freedom Towers.
1: Yeah, that's awesome, Robert. Thank you so much for for sharing that. Congratulations on the
2: on the record. We are looking forward to the third attempt. Have a real good day, uh, good day, brother. Appreciate your help. Have a great day.
1: It's always cool to follow up with veterans and follow them through their progress of recovery, and then watch them continue to strive to Im- inspire others. And that's sort of a nice segue into our featured interview, which is with Army veteran Travis Mills. Travis was injured during his third deployment. His injuries led to him becoming a quadruple amputee. Since he began his recovery, Travis has gone on to start his own foundation and inspire others through motivational speaking. He knows how to share his own story and does it very well. Enjoy. Uh, Travis Mills, Army veteran, 82nd Airborne. Sir, thank you so much for joining me.
3: Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here today.
1: So, uh, Travis, at the beginning of every interview, we start we start with the foundation uh, of every veteran's story, and that is the decision to join the United States military. Bring us back to that moment for you.
3: Well, in, in true honesty, I was playing college football. I had a girlfriend that said I should move home, so I did. Instead of playing college baseball at the college, they asked me to play. And then she had a boyfriend, and I thought, well, this isn't really what I want to be doing with my life. So I went searching out. Yeah, I know. I'm going to be fully honest today with you. But, I like that. Uh, I went ahead and searched out uh, the military as an option, checked out all the branches. You know, you got the, the Air Force. I knocked on the door a couple of times. They never really worked, so I didn't go there. Um, <laughs> I bypassed the Navy and the Coast Guard, and then I went to the Marines, and the Marines looked very promising. You know, this big, bald-headed, barrel-chested, four, just, you know, straight shooter, kind of deep voiced guy was like, you should join the Marines. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that sounds cool. I'll, maybe. And then I talked to the Army, and the Army was giving me all the options. They said, hey, you get a $24,000 signing bonus. And I played car salesman, so I went back to the army or the Marines and I said, hey, so what's your guys' bonus? And he said, honor, duty, respect. I'm like, no, no, I, I get that. Like, no, I and I want that. Monetarily, what's your bonus? He's like, we don't do that. And I'm like, what? So, you know, I joined the Army. And, uh, no, I was excited to join the Army. I, I went ahead and went airborne and in infantry. And. Went to basic training at Fort Benning um, where they taught me how to like um, coleslaw for a couple months because I hate coleslaw. But the first day you sit down to eat, they're like, everybody gets coleslaw. Eat your coleslaw. So I couldn't tell the lady dumping down my plate no. And I ate it first to get it out of the way. And they, then they came back for dinner the same day. And this is the first day of basic training. And they said, everybody gets coleslaw. Mills, you like it so much you get two scoops today. <laughs> I went, well, th- oh, thank you so much for that. Because I wasn't going to tell them I didn't like it. I just went in and ate it. Um, for months, but I don't eat it now. And uh, after basic, went to airborne school. After airborne school, I went to Fort Bragg in North Carolina, home of the 82nd Airborne Division, the greatest division ever known to mankind. Um, and jumped out of airplanes for a living in the infantry. Um, I deployed on my first deployment while I was over there in August of 2007. Um, to I did a 15 month tour. So um, when I when I went over, um, I got to meet my my medic's little sister, who thought I was uh, a cutie pie. I had 22 inch arms. I was six foot three, you know, 275 pounds, lifting weights all day when I wasn't on missions. And we decided to hang out. She was 18, and I was 20, so I came home in my 15 or 18 day R um, and R. And first time I ever met my wife, I flew into Texas to meet her, where she was living. We flew to Mexico for the first date ever for a week. Back to Michigan for a week, and then back overseas. Came back and got married. Um, I deployed again in 2009, 2010 for a year. Came back, my wife said, hey, guess what I did today? And I said, I have no idea what you did. And she's like, I bought a house. And I went, well, that's, how'd you do that? And she's like, well, actually you did, because they have you do this thing in the Army called power of attorney. <laughs> so my wife bought a house in my name, which is exciting. Uh, well, I got back my second appointment. We had a house. Um, I already had the dog. And then four months after I got back, found out we were going to have a baby. Um, my daughter was born in 2011. Um, in September, and then I deployed again on my third deployment in February of 2012. And about a month and a half in, I went ahead and got a call on patrol, and I went out, and um, like every other day, I was a staff sergeant, as a weapon squad leader, having a good time, and I happened to step on a bomb and put my bag on it, one of the two. Uh, the IED went off. I, I went from the right side of my body where I set my bag down on it, to the left side, I landed on my head and rolled over. My right leg and right arm were disintegrated. They never found those pieces. Mm. Uh, right arm at the bicep, right leg at the knee. Left leg was hanging down by a couple pieces of uh, muscle and tendon, holding it on, snapped to the bone, and the left arm was still there, but my wrist was bad, and my pinky and rinky finger were gone. So I radioed my LT as soon as I rolled my head over and saw what happened. I said, hey, six, this is four. I need a medic over here. I got some guys injured. Uh, my medic was a couple of feet behind me. He ran over to fix me. And I said, no, don't worry about it. You're not going to save me. And, you know, we went ahead and tried it anyway. And uh, they worked on me and got tourniquets on me, him and my platoon sergeant. They got me on the helicopter. On the helicopter, they took me for a 15-minute ride to Kandahar. I went into surgery automatically. As they were trying to knock me out, I kept trying to sit up, yelling at them, quit touching me, I'm fine, leave me alone. Uh, <laughs>
1: quit I got- touching me, I'm fine.
3: <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <I> kept-
1: <laughs> oh. I-
3: you're good I kept saying I gotta get my feet back underneath me I'm fine and I had a doctor actually like chest up on me like he put his chest to chest on me like had to hold me down they said sergeant Mills, I don't know how you're still awake right now but you need to go sleep but instead of showing fear and constant worry I went ahead and decided to just figure out don't go out like saving private Ryan when medic got shot don't sit there and yell for your mom or be scared and whatever happens, happens, you can't, you know, I can't affect the outcome of this, and the only thing I can do is just keep a level head and, and stay calm and try to push forward. So they knocked me out. Last thing I said to my little girl, I'm never gonna see her again, uh, my daughter Chloe, who was at the time six months old, and when uh, they knocked me out, there was 14 doctors and seven nurses that worked on me. I'm sorry, nine doctors and seven nurses that worked on me for 14 hours. Um, two nurses for nine hours pumped air into my lungs to keep me alive, just constant. Over 30 blood transfusions, they were actually rushing blood to me. Like they were on the FOB saying, um, you know, code red or whatever, A positive and universal blood needed. So it was right from their veins to mine. And I came on surgery stable on April 10th. And then two days later, they had me in Bagram, Afghanistan. They had to cut my left hand off because the skin had died. So um, I became a quadruple amputee. I guess I forgot to mention when they pants off to work on me. My leg actually popped off with, with the pants. So I became a triple amputee on the 10th and then a quad on the 12th. And then they flew me to Landstuhl, Germany, where my brother-in-law, who I'm still close with, um, was in the room with me. He flew in from where he was stationed at his outlying post and escorted my body back to, you know, to the hospital from Kandahar to Bagram to Launchstuhl back to the States. Cause if I died, he was in the, the blue book that they had me fill out to take me home anyway. So they let him take me and be my be my escort, and they woke me up April 14th on my 25th birthday, to be exact. And uh, when I woke up, I first thing I said, my soldiers are my soldiers, and he told me about the two guys that were injured, and then I said, am I paralyzed? And he said, no. And I said, no, I can take it. You don't got to lie to me. I can't put my fingers and toes. And he said, well, you're not paralyzed, but you don't have them anymore. I said, oh, okay. And that's how I spent my 25th birthday. Uh, three days later, I made it back to Walter Reed. I saw my wife for the very first time. And it wasn't that Hallmark moment you'd think you'd see. They rushed up um, to me, and the doctor said, Mrs. Mills, you're in charge of medical care now. You have to sign this paper. He has to get his uh, right leg cut two inches higher. And he's bleeding out, and if not, he'll die. So she had to sign that. They took me into surgery, and the next day I saw her on the 18th, and I said, you know, this isn't what you want. I've been thinking about it for the last four days, and um, why don't you just take our daughter, Chloe, and go. Um, not something you should put up with and where you want. And she was like, that's not how this works. We're going to get through this together. And um my wife stayed, so then I started uh my slow um I would I say slow, but it's actually fast for the injuries I had, recovery at Walter Reed.
1: Wow. Uh Travis, that is uh that's a that was a lot. Um, so I mean, you probably
3: can tell I'm actually a motivational speaker now and I tell my story throughout the nation to to you know, companies and yeah and universities and, and all alike. like, so I uh I have a book out, it's doing very well. Um it's called Tough As They Come, and then I have a documentary just hit Netflix that goes over the whole recovery process with Kelsey and Chloe and I. It's
1: on Netflix? It is on Netflix. It I didn't G- realize that. I'm gonna check that out tonight. GI Film Festival Award winner in two thousand and
3: fourteen. Took yeah. first 55 shorts, and now it's on Netflix as of May.
1: Yeah. I remember uh I remember seeing a headline at uh at the at the G. I Film Festival. I didn't realize it was on Netflix so I'm gonna check that out.
3: Yep, yep. And then it's called Travis, the Soldier's Story.
1: All right. Uh, when the mechs first came up to you, you said, uh, just leave me alone. I'm not going to make it. Uh, was that like an objective conclusion that you'd come to? Did you just accept that that was it?
3: I mean, I did accept it. I uh, 100% had been deployed and seen guys die, unfortunately. And I just didn't think that with what they died from that there was any way I would make it. And instead of wasting their time on me and trying at a hopeless cause, um, I had two other guys on the ground that were injured that could be, could be helped and could make it through. And I thought it was a waste of time to work on me, but my medic and my platoon sergeant and the other medic saw it differently. Um, they did buddy aid on the other two guys and then the medics checked them out. And once they found out they were talking coherent, uh, they didn't need to get air backed out and things like that. They thought, well, you know, um, we could probably fix this guy. So they, they went ahead and they worked on me, and, and without them, I mean, I definitely wouldn't be here. But tourniquets save lives, which is the big difference with Vietnam era vets and vets of today. If they had tourniquets, it would be a whole different story. But back yeah. then, quick clot and sear. Uh, so they'd sear the arteries and do their best. But but you know, just simply putting a tourniquet on is um, is what really saved my life. So I get asked all the time, well, well, boy, I'm from the Vietnam era. I didn't see a lot of guys like you. It was too bad that. They had to go through this, and I have to remind them that in Vietnam they didn't have the battlefield technology to live through these injuries, so guys like me didn't make it home. So as unfortunate as the situation is that I have no arms and legs anymore, I'm very fortunate with a lot of my friends to still be here and enjoy everyday life with uh, with our families and loved ones.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you just shared uh, a lot uh, about um, what, ha- uh, what happened in that third deployment. Is there another story or experience that you recall on often maybe that doesn't have to do with that storyline that uh, you feel like is representative of your time in? Well, absolutely.
3: So um, a lot of it was uh, in my recovery just understanding that you can't always control your situation, but you can always control your attitude. And um, I learned that on my second deployment. We had a five-hour mission turn into a 36-hour debacle um anything that could go wrong did go wrong i mean trucks broke uh you know the guy in the, the five guys in the building that were supposed to surrender wouldn't surrender they kept shooting at everybody um and i had to just you know we had to grit it out and we got to the point where you're so exhausted and tired you decide you're either gonna laugh or cry so you go ahead and, and you laugh it off and then that's where i kind of learned that it could always be worse that you can't always control where you find yourself and in, in the world but you can always you know take hold of your of your attitude, so I was a lot different um, NCO than a lot of my uh, my fellow um, sergeants and staff sergeants because I wasn't angry. I didn't have to yell to get my point across. I didn't have to be in a bad mood uh, to scare people um, into doing what I wanted. I just talked to them like adults, and if they didn't do what I said, then they saw the side of me that they didn't want to see. But for the most part, I just kind of hung out. I had two guys that were from a different unit. That when they got there, they were from a, a line unit, and I came in from being off for three months with school option that I re-enlisted for, plus going to Jumpmaster School and a couple other schools I went to. Um, and they just saw me as a happy, joking, having fun, everybody, get along with everybody, and had no idea how I picked up E6 for one because I wasn't like the typical, you know, guy that would yell and get his point across and be kind of a jerk. And then on top of that, they didn't know how I got um, to be weapons squad leader, which is a senior ranking you know, squad leader usually in the infantry uh, platoon. And I came back, waltzed in. Uh, I left a, a leadership course on Thursday. Got a four-day weekend for completing the course for that. And I came in on Monday, and I I took over the the senior spot. And they just it was baffling to them. After the first firefight on uh, my third deployment, the first day we got there, uh, I was directing traffic and snapped into you know my training, my military background, and what I'm good at. And after the firefight, they were. Out back, um, we were getting ammo. I said, hey, I need you to grab ammo with me. And they weren't my soldiers, but they obviously saw me in, in the firefight and the combat and how I did things. And they said, look, Sergeant Mills, we got to be honest. We came from a different place, and we didn't know how you ever would get promoted with your attitude and how happy you are all the time. But seeing you out there today, like, we'll follow you to hell and back. And um, I think that just probably speaks volumes for for how I was brought up in the military and, and um, how I was able to get things done. And, and I was grateful for the comment Um but just thankful to have the ability to be in the army uh, overall in general.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The uh, so was it? When did you? When were you finally released from Walter Reed?
3: What well, did nineteen months of recovery at Walter Reed, where I went from you know being 140 pounds, I lost 110 pounds in the beginning and had to work on things. After five weeks, I was uh, feeding myself again with a hand. I got a prosthetic hand, and In seven weeks and four days, I took my very first steps around the, the track at Walter Reed, the little small track inside the gym. Walking again, and then it progressed. So over 19 months, then I was able to retire, and um, I skipped around a little bit, waiting for my house to be built um, in Maine. And now I reside in the great state of Maine.
1: Very well. Um, if you're, if this is something you're willing to touch on, should it apply? Um, you know, a lot of veterans um, in their first year or two out of the military uh, face some degree of an emotional crisis. Is that something that you experienced?
3: Well, I'll be honest with everybody. I, I, at first, the very first day I got back to my in laws' house in Texas when we were living there, I looked at a picture of me and it's, um, it was all over the news when I got hit and they use it a lot and I still use it for my presentation. But it's an orange hat and I got all my gear on. It's the last picture taken of me with my arms and legs. And I kind of broke down. I said, now what? You know, I was going to be a 20 year military guy. Um, I was coming back in this deployment, go recruiter, finish my degree and hopefully go officer. And so I had it all kind of mapped out how I was going to, my progression in the military and I was going to get E7 and then become, um, you know, a lieutenant in, in the army and, uh, just kind of go that route. So for that little split second, I, I did break down. But then, you know, I have my, my little girl, I have my wife and life goes on. And I've been given this ability to one, live and two, you know, be a part of everyday life, and I can drive. I can do anything I want. So, I started um, hitting the gym at a, a place with a buddy of mine, and after that, started speaking a little bit more, and never really looked back. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, like I said, life lessons that you can learn from this. My big thing was I can either dwell on the past or reminisce the past. and keep pushing forward, and since I realized I can't change the past, I can't take back the day I got blown up. Even though everybody says all well, the good you're doing, would you? Would you still take it back? One hundred and ten percent. Call me selfish. I don't care. Um, I would never get blown up again. I'd keep my arms and legs. But you know what? Uh, life goes on. I can't change what happened, so I might as well keep going forward.
1: You know, it's it's so. Uh, not that I would expect anybody to make that same statement, but it's actually refreshing to finally hear someone say that because I think that I think that there are more veterans that that. Feel the same way like yeah I would I would definitely go back and change losing you know my uh, uh, my extremities but I feel like a lot of veterans that have similar experiences feel like that sounds selfish or that sounds like they wouldn't want to go through this inspiring um, process of of recovery and, and talking to others stuff like that it's it's actually kind of refreshing to hear someone say like yeah absolutely I would definitely go back to that day and change the course of my future. No, I mean, I w-
3: yeah, I wouldn't take back the military by no means. I wouldn't yeah. take anything leading up to the explosion. Um, but, no, I would not. Give my, like, I, I have friends that I've met through Walter Reed. that were like, well, you know, this is just it's it's, uh, it's a plan laid out for me, and, and I wouldn't take it back. I've done so many great things. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, we, I, we've done great things. I mean, I, I run a nonprofit. I bring up combat injured veterans uh, and their families, and I show them how to do things adaptively and I build networks where they have someone to reach out to. Uh, I went to Boston with the bombing victims, and I was a mentor for them. I I mentored a lot of guys at Walter Reed, and that's great. But if I had a choice to not be in that role and have my arms and legs and be able to throw my daughter in the air and catch her and and do things like that, I would take that every day of the week um, over it. And I don't think that makes me a bad person or makes me selfish because as much as I would take that, I can't. Yeah. Like I said, I, I can't change the past, so I don't dwell on it. I don't sit there and reminisce, you know. Everything, or I mean, sit there and think, well, what that didn't happen, and try to trouble, you know, or you know, troubleshoot in my head how I could change what's happened. There's no time machine out there, and that's fine. It's the way it is, you know. So instead of being miserable and upset and, and angry about it, I accept I can't change it. I know I would change it if I could. And I just keep pushing forward. And, uh, and I'm happy with my life now. Um, my daughter and I do date nights. Matter of fact, tonight is a big date night for us because I was out of town um the last three days. Um, I was out in DC. I got to meet up with uh, the president and the vice president. I uh, saw that. Kind of randomly, you know, and I had some honest conversations with him as well. You know, the president was asking me questions and I gave him honest feedback. And I said, he said, you know, I can go to my restaurants and I can learn more from the waiters than I could from the person I hired to be a consultant. Um, he said, thanks for your your, your uh, honest uh, opinions and, and thoughts. And I said, well, you know, as long as I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to burn bridges or do anything, but that's just – that's how it works.
1: Um, how long did it take you to discover your renewed purpose? Did you find that in speaking?
3: To be honest with you, I actually found it uh, was – was helpful to me and self uh, therapeutic. I was, you know, it was, it was fulfilling. So, what happened was first at Walter Reed, I had such a good attitude that therapists and the doctors said, "Hey, look, we got a guy upstairs. We can't tell you his name, but could you maybe go see him? We can't tell you what room he's in, but they'd give me a hint like he's not in forty, he's not in forty two. But if you find him, stop in." And uh, you know, I'm not a marine, so instead of chewing crayons, I can actually do math. So,
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and uh, I'd go and meet this person. And then it turned into a peer mentor thing where they be like, hey, look, we have PFC Johnson. He's upstairs in room, you know, 41. Uh, he's got his wife, his mother-in-law, and his daughter. Can you go talk to him? He's missing one leg and one arm. And, you know, it, um, seeing as believing. When you're in the hospital room, you're, you're full of doubt and you're full of, what am I going to do with my life and how am I going to get pushed forward? Um, and you meet somebody that, one, is the same situation with amputation, but, two, has more amputations than you. I mean, for me, at Walter Reed, And this is not like, um, measuring contest or who has the worst, you know, has it worse off because there's different variables. You know, I might have, um, no legs, but one guy that, you know, has a leg might have a real high amputation. He's, so he can't walk because he can't get a socket on. So I mean, it's like I'm saying, it's not measuring, but when you come in a room and they think they have nowhere to go and, and you see a guy with no arms and legs walk in, shake your hand and hang out, it really changes perspective on your situation. And I've seen it happen with me um, meeting people quite a a bit. And then it happened for me. I came out of a ketamine coma. And a guy with no arms and legs flew in from Missouri, um, retired corporal, um, Todd Nicely. He was a quadruple amputee. There's five total of us. And Todd came walking in. He's like, hey, man, you're going to be fine. And I was just like so in awe and amazement. Um, And then my competitive edge got out. I said, well, if he can do it, I can do it better. And, um, you know, I started my recovery fully knowing that I will walk, I will drive, I will do things by myself. And I'm very comfortable because I guess the big resounding thing that I have is I can't change the fact. I can't change what happened. I mean, I can't change the way I look in public. So instead of wearing pants and trying to blend in, I don't wear pants for anybody except my mom, my wife, and my girlfriend or girlfriend, my best friend, T.J. I have a girlfriend. Shit. My wife's going to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, I don't wear pants for anybody but my mom, my wife, and my daughter—I'm supposed to say—and my best friend TJ is getting married, so I got to buy a suit. Actually, after this conversation, I got to go buy the suit for the wedding. But uh, yeah, I just yeah, I don't hide my legs, I don't hide my arms. I'm very open and talk to everybody about it. And I think the kids are the most honest. I was at Walter Reed. I was at a, a part of their program they just put on. They asked me to come back and be a, be a kind of a presenter on a panel. And a little girl like, "Mommy, you don't have an arm. Where does his arm go?" And she's like, Shh, "Don't say that right now." And I turn around, and say, "It's no big deal." And I tell kids, "I work with Iron Man. Uh, the right one's full of missiles, so I don't wear it no more." And it does take it <laughs> up. And uh, you know, I just you gotta you gotta go with it. You can't. I, I would rather be out there in front of it, talking with everybody. And now I'm to the point where I'm uh, kind of well known. In my local area, which is you know, Augusta, Maine, the capital here, and and the airport. Yeah, uh, On the way over to DC, I was in Dulles Airport, and a guy walked by and like, Hey, you're Travis Mills. I said, Yes, I am. He said, I follow you on Facebook. He said, So awesome. I'd get a picture, but I'm late for a flight, but keep up the good work. I said, Hey, man, thanks for the support. Yeah, And, um, you know, it's getting to that point, which which I don't mind. I don't mind being the face of it. And as long as people understand, you know, don't. I hate being called a wounded warrior, um, not because anything to do with the nonprofit. I just don't like the word wounded. Um, I don't like to be looked at like I have something wrong. I have scars. I've healed. Uh, recalibrated warrior. If you want to call me anything, but I go by Travis for the most part. And I'm just grateful to have the the stage and the podium to to help give back, tell my story that relates to so many people out there, whether they were military or not military, and bring it all back to how family and support got me through it. And how, you know, I live a fulfilling life because of the fact that I surround myself with such wonderful people that help me out. I mean, I I run a nonprofit that when we started, was going to give care packages for five grand a year from Kelsey and I. My wife and I were going to go ahead and just, you know, give care packages from ourselves to people overseas. Now it's a $3 million project and the sky's the limit. And I've had very good meetings with other nonprofits for strategic partnerships and that's what we do now and we bring families out for a free week. We have another family week coming up this Sunday and we got six straight right in a row and... You know, I've, I've surrounded myself with with uh, the right people to help. I got an exec director that's phenomenal. I got a lead gift officer that just won't quit, and a program director that is actually a therapist from Walter Reed that has her doctorate that I stole. I completely stole, and I got a lot of crap for it yesterday when I was at Walter Reed walking the hallways, and they were not happy that I took her. But I gave her a job and an opportunity, and not that she was looking for a job, but she sees the mission, and, and boy, are we making some real changes in people's lives, and it's it's very very rewarding.
1: Yeah, very cool. Um. Man, you're doing a good job just hitting all of my notes here. Uh, what is a, <laughs> no worries, that helps me. I just want to make sure I was going through, uh, making sure we still touch on it. What is a, uh, both with, met, uh, with the motivational speaking, the, um, the mentorship, the, the foundation, what is a skill set or a talent or a discipline, whatever you want to call it, that you learned while you're in the Army that's contributing to that success today? Well, I mean, uh, the army.
3: Growing up, I had good values and morals, and and uh, you know, you just get the job done and you don't quit. And if someone needs help, you lend a hand and help. And uh, you learn that in the army as well. You know, the, the mission's not over just because it's nine to five when you're out there. and, You know, you have to go longer than you thought. You got to keep doing it. I mean, that's life and death, I guess. But um, now, being able to give back and being able to always push forward, everybody's surprised how straight out I am because. I have this call. I have another meeting today. I got another meeting. I was just at, I happen to run a, um, uh, motel marina, what we're calling it, lodge and marina now. I just bought that with a buddy of mine. So my mom and dad run it. It's 38 unit place with, uh, 73 boat slips. So I just keep myself moving. My wife and I are expecting a child, uh, August 11th. So my travel has came to a screeching halt as of yesterday, <laughs> but I travel 107 days out of the year, 170. And, and, you know, I just, I, I guess just, uh, you know, you can always always do better. Always keep pushing forward, keep doing more. But um, I don't let the little things get me down. And you just gotta you gotta keep keep going. You know, why would I ever let this this uh, explosion or injury stop me from doing what I want to do and what I love? That's why I started the nonprofit, um, you know, Travis Mills Foundation, was because I don't live life on the sidelines, and I want families to be able to enjoy the same quality of life and experiences that I enjoy. So. Instead of just a service member learning how to go kayaking, we bring the whole family out for free, um, all paid. And we have different partnerships that we're working on. So some companies can sponsor a family that's local to them that's been through injuries, or they can sponsor a whole week. And, you know, everybody is encouraged to check out travismills.org to, to see how to do all this and get involved and, and send me an email and, um, figure out what we can do together to keep this going. We also are going to start a Vietnam veteran program. Um, where we bring up Vietnam vets make sure they understand that we are thankful for their service we welcome them home and I truly believe that they're the reason that we got such a warm welcome when we did get home um, they made sure that whether you supported the war or not you supported the troops which they didn't get so we have some pretty neat things going on here at the foundation and um, I can't wait to you know, get through these next six weeks, make sure everything goes smooth and and good. And then we'll start planning out what does 18, 19 and 2020 look for us and our programming and our partnerships. And and where do we want to go with it? Because it is not this little thing that is care packages. Now it's $3 million and and counting, but you know, I don't take a dime on the president. I got six board members uh, as well that don't take a dime. We'll never pay ourselves. It's all about giving back to the foundation. And, um, and I'm, I'm happy and, and just um, so enthusiastic about this project and thankful to be able to give back.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. The, uh, one last question before you wrap up. Tell me about a, a veteran or a veteran organization right now that has you excited about what they're doing. Well, obviously the
3: Charles Mills Foundation has me excited about what they're doing. Um, <laughs> sure. that's. Yeah. And then uh, just having the fact, the ability to partner with some of these um, programs, like um, we had a meeting with TAPS and the Donald Rumsfeld Foundation, as well as uh um, home-based program, which is just phenomenal. Because I don't do anything with PTSD or TBI. Personally, I don't suffer from it. I don't take any medication for pain or anything like that. So I'm, I'm just as normal as I was the day before I got blown up. Um, and, and I'm thankful for that. But we get a lot of things about PTSD and TBI. And I've had friends commit suicide and, and things like that because of those, uh, those uh, uh, I guess, symptoms or situations or, you know, what, what happens. So we're partnering hopefully with them where they run a two-week program. It's Boston Red Sox Foundation and Harvard Medical partner with Mass General all together to help um, cope and cure PTS and, and TBI. And they want to use our retreat to put on some of their programming. So when we're not using it for our programming, we want this foundation to be able to host other foundations and and do things to give back to the veteran community. And I mean, you know, just knowing that we're building this this partnership and 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 these uh, these um, you know the relationships are going to help so many more people, like taps for spouses that have lost loved ones, Gold Star member families. How, you can't you can't beat that. So we're finding a way to make sure that if it's not our programming, the facility gets used with other programs that we full heart uh you know full heartedly believe in and um as far as other things i'm excited for my my son's coming in august my date night tonight my daughter's gonna be exciting we're probably gonna have thai food because she likes thai food or cinnamon butter rolls from texas roadhouse and i can't sway her anywhere besides those two places and um and hopefully people just want to get involved and understand our mission and check out uh, the website travismills.org you know for all your travis mills needs
1: well, there we go. The final uh, the wrap up was how people can get, how can people get a hold of you? But I suppose uh dot org is where everybody should be going.
3: One hundred and ten percent. And like and share our, our page on Facebook It helps us out greatly. Social media is a huge thing in today's world. So um, get behind our mission. Our 990s are online. We're very clean, uh, very transparent, and we're never going to do the wrong thing because I will not allow that to happen.
1: Yeah. Travis Mills, thank you so much for for your time. Thank you for your service and thank you for your continued service uh, to veterans through mentorship and and, and the other efforts you have going on at at the foundation.
3: Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate you having me and hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Nice meeting you.
0: There are nearly 2 million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care, specialty care, mental health care, and women's health specialty care, such as advanced breast and gynecological care, maternity care, and infertility treatments. At each of the 168 VA medical centers nationwide, a Women Veterans Program Manager is available to advise, advocate, and coordinate care for women veterans. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 1-855-VA-WOMEN or 1-855-829-6636 one 829 6636 or contact the nearest VA Medical Center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. For more information about benefits and other services for women veterans, visit www.va.gov womenvet
1: Travis mentioned his own challenges and some of his friends that succumbed to their similar struggles. One resource we cannot emphasize and promote enough is the Veterans Crisis Line. The Veterans Crisis Line connects veterans in crisis and their families and friends with qualified care. The Veterans Crisis Line connects veterans in crisis and their families and friends with qualified, caring Department of Veterans Affairs responders through a confidential, toll-free hotline, online chat, Or text. Veterans and their loved ones can call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. You can chat online at veteranscrisisline.net or send a text message to 838-255 to receive confidential support 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. There is support for deaf or hard of hearing individuals uh, available through the hotline. Again, the number is 1-800-273-8255. Today's Veteran of the Day is George Pappas. George served during World War II and was captured by the Germans in Italy. He spent nearly a year as a prisoner of war, but was released, and he soon got out after that and was honored with a bronze star. We thank George for his service. To read George's full write-up or to nominate your own Veteran of the Day, visit blogs.va.gov that does it for episode 39 i hope you enjoyed my conversation with travis and we'll look into his foundation if you've enjoyed this podcast enough to support it we'd love to have an, a nomination in the government and organizations category category at podcastawards.com be sure to follow us on instagram at Dept vet affairs for more images from our community i'm timothy lawson signing off